Go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, so Valentine's Day is this week. Uh, That's my public service announcement for the day. In case you weren't aware of it, I don't know uh, when Hallmark and St. Valentine got together and figured that all out, especially, you know, this week because it's on Wednesday, you know, the most romantic day of the year being in the middle of the school week or the middle of the work week. I don't know who planned that, but I don't love it at all. And actually, I am epically bad at Valentine's Day and birthdays and anniversaries and Christmas and pretty much everything in in that regard. So like my wife, Abby, now what she does is she'll send me a link to the thing. Like she'll say, it's this thing, this color. Actually, it's like it's in the Amazon cart. Actually, I went ahead and bought it. It's in the cupboard, you know, like that. That helps me out quite a bit, you know. And, and it's one of the many reminders that I have that one of the best decisions that I've ever made, actually, other than following Jesus, the best decision that I've ever made in my life is marrying Abby. Have you ever heard the term, you know, marrying up? That's me. Like in the dictionary, my face married up. Yes. And am I aware that Valentine's Day is on Wednesday and I have nothing planned and I'm buttering up a little bit? Absolutely I am. That is 100% true. She's right over here and I have nothing planned. Sorry. (laughs) Now, what you might not know is how Abby and I met. So Kyle Yoakum, our student pastor here at the Ridge, was also my college roommate and he and Abby actually share the same birthday. They're, they're birthday twins, they say. So we went to college together, and Kyle actually met Abby before I met Abby. And, and they, they hung out, they became fast friends. Now the story changes depending on who you ask. Kyle has a version of this story, Abby has a version of this story, and I'm the one up here. So that's the one that you're going to hear, okay? So Kyle had a massive crush on Abby. Now, they hung out some, and he was very interested in dating her. So he asked her out to the movies, but Abby kind of wanted it to be more of like a hangout with friends. Was she playing hard to get? I'll let you decide. I don't know. But she asked Kyle to bring his roommate, which is me. And he then said, hey, will you help me out here? You know, you're being my wingman. And I'm like, all right, okay, like, we'll, we'll figure it out. And I, I went with Kyle and Abby and one of Abby's friends, and we saw a movie. We saw Ocean's 12, we think. Uh, Kyle never dated Abby, just so you know. Uh, she let him down pretty gently, I think. And when it was clear that that wasn't going to happen, I, you know, talked to Kyle, and I said, hey, what do you think about me giving that a go? And he said, I I think we all agree on this. He said the words, I don't see it. (laughs) We just celebrated our 16th anniversary. So, uh, yes, I actually take that applause as proof that Kyle was wrong. So thank you very much. Now that one decision, you know, going to a movie as a wingman actually turned into marrying the woman of my dreams. It's a Hallmark rom-com, you know, type of situation. And that's just touching the surface of it. There's all sorts of different stuff and you can ask us sometime, but we're starting a two week series today that we're calling Life Happens. And we're going through the book of Ruth. Now the book of Ruth has sometimes, I've heard it called kind of the romantic dramedy of the Old Testament. 
You know, there's all of these, these things in there about kind of like, you know, marriage and, and romance and love and, and there are no explosions or shootouts or car chases, anything like that. If it were a Hollywood Hallmark movie, it would not be like the Sylvester Stallone type. It'd be more of like the Ryan Gosling notebook type of movie. Now, in this story, what you've got is you've got a couple of women and a whole lot of talking. There are 85 verses in the book of Ruth. 55 of those verses are dialogue. So I do kind of think maybe it fits into that stereotypical chick flick, you know, genre. And before you get angry with me, I actually have no problem at all with romantic comedy or romantic dramedies. I really like them enough. Uh, I also like action flicks, so kind of best of both worlds. But the, the book of Ruth tends to be more kind of on that romantic dramedy side than the action side. Now, before I lose all of you diehard fans or whatever, hear me out. This story is incredible. If you pay attention like, to what is actually happening in the story, I think we can all see how God is working and how decisions that we make impact you know, the lives that we have and, and what's happening in our present, what's happening in our future. So I just want you to think about your own life right now. If you've ever felt tragedy in your life in any way, shape, or form, I think this story is for you. If you've ever felt stuck in a bad situation, I think this story is for you. If you've ever been lost, or if you've ever felt all alone, or if you've ever not known where to go or who to turn to, this story is for you. And if you've ever wondered, is God working? Is he showing up? Does this even matter? Is he even there? Even in your everyday life, I think this story is for you. Now, this story isn't full of miracles. It like the parting of the Red Sea doesn't happen in it. You know, nobody gets healed. Nobody comes back from the dead. Those things happen in the Bible, just not in the book of Ruth. But I think it's a story that we can all relate to in one way or another. It's a story of family. And in this family, things don't always go according to plan. Can you relate to that? Life happens. And those moments when they inevitably come, when things aren't going the way that we hope, this story is really a reminder that we're not alone and that God has not left us stranded to figure it all out on our own. So the book of Ruth is this great reminder that God is always working, whether we see it or not. And the book of Ruth is this, I call it a microcosm. It's just a little example of a story, of a specific story and family of how God is working to take care of this family and the impact that that has even through difficulties. So the best way to understand a story like this is to understand the context. We see that in movies all the time, right? You know, at the beginning of Star Wars, it scrolls like paragraphs of like, here's what you need to know and here's how you need to to do this. So that's actually kind of how Ruth starts. You know, Ruth 1.1, it says, in the days, like check this out, in the days when the judges ruled in Israel. That is like movie trailer stuff. A severe famine came upon the land. That's the situation. So a, a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. So Ruth happens in the Bible right after the book of Judges. So it's towards the beginning of the Bible. And the book of Judges are stories about military leaders, really, guiding the people of God. But things keep getting worse and worse and worse. God's people keep falling away and following, not real gods, following idols and getting into a 
bad situation. So the last verse of the book of Judges says that in those days, Israel and God's people did whatever they thought was right in their own eyes. Not good situation. Not what God wanted them to do. So there's this severe famine and things are bad and food is scarce. And we see how God navigates this situation with one family. So we get introduced to this family and kind of, kind of the cast of characters. So this is Ruth 1, 2. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons were Malon and Kilion. I love Old Testament names. Do you love Old Testament names? I love them. They were Ephathrites from Bethlehem and the land of Judah. And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So this is kind of, to me, like the opening credits of like a sitcom or something. You know, I kind of feel like they should be in the kitchen, like washing dishes. And then Elimelech, you know, breaks the dish and they look up and they're like, thumbs up or whatever. Like that's kind of the image that I have here. Like meet Elimelech and his wife, Naomi. Like it's that kind of situation. So really it's saying, here are the people that you need to know to understand this story. So here's the situation and here's the family. Now, names matter a lot in this story. So let's slow down. We're going to learn what these names mean. I'm a geek about names. I absolutely love names. I've had the opportunity to name three human beings in my life. Well, really, I would have named them something crazy and Abby kind of, you know, went a little bit lower. Like she said, no, 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 for, for a while. But I've named three people in my life. My 10-year-old son's name is Asher and that means blessed. Eliza, my daughter, means joyful. Ainsley means meadow. We kind of dropped the ball on that one a little bit. <laughs> so in this story, you kind of meet these characters. And you kind of think that the way it's being set up, the main character is going to be Elimelech. And Elimelech means God is my king. And Naomi's name means sweet or pleasant. And then it gets weird. So their two sons' names are Malon, and that means sickly. Kilion means frail or tired. So Meadow isn't awesome, but I didn't name my kid sick and tired. (laughs) Sometimes I feel that way, but that's not what I named them. Parents get it. (laughs) Now this family moved from Bethlehem to Moab because of the famine, really. So it's about a 50-mile journey. They probably walked it. And this is a huge deal. See, they're trying to escape death. They're trying to find a new place to live. And this move ends up being a terrible mistake. So why is this a big deal? Why was it a mistake? Because it sounds like, hey, going and figuring stuff out and, and trying to get out of the place that has a famine seems to be a good thing, right? We do this. We take control and you know, take life by the horns. Like That makes sense to us, right? Well, here's why it was a big deal. God had strictly forbidden his people from living in Moab. He had said, don't go there. Don't live there. Don't marry the people there. So what's so wrong with Moab? Well, they were descendants of a guy named Moab, and you can read about that in Genesis 19. So here's a quick overview of this origin story. There's a guy named Lot and his daughters, and his daughters got Lot drunk and then slept with him and conceived a son named Moab. That's the origin story. Yikes. That's just the start of kind of the problem with people who are Moabites. The Moabites worshiped a false god, And they would sacrifice children, actually, to this false god. So you get in the picture? Moab is off limits for a reason, for a purpose. 
God says, steer clear. Here's another example. In the book of Psalms, Moab is described as a wash basin, basically described as where you would you know, wash your dirty, dusty, nasty feet. And, and the point of that is to say, hey, don't drink that water. Don't cook with this dirty water. Don't interact with that. God is saying, no, don't go there. For my sake, I want to keep you safe. Don't go there. Steer clear. It's dirty. God says, no. But clearly, Elimelech is desperate. Doesn't trust, really, that God will provide And there is a a little bit of irony there because God says don't go there. And Elimelech, whose namesake means God is my king, is acting like God is anything but. Now I have to admit to you, before we're too hard on him, I kind of relate to Elimelech. Like he goes, okay, I'm seeing that things are not good. We need to figure this out. We need a better shot. We need to take control of the situation. We need to change things. I've been in situations like that. Have you ever been in a situation like that where you're like, I've got to step in. I've got to put in the work. I've got to put in the effort. It's up to me. I've got to take control. So when things aren't going your way, what do you do? That's a good question. When things aren't going the way that you want in your life, what do you do? Do you scream into a pillow? You eat the tub of Rocky Road, roll up your sleeves, pray. Like, what do you do? Maybe you're familiar with the term fight, flight, or freeze. That's this natural response that we have. And we go, okay, either I'm going to put my fists up and fight, or I'm going to just run away as fast as I can, or I'm going to freeze and try to pretend that I'm invisible. And all of those responses can actually be the right one, or the wrong one. So when things aren't going your way, what do you do? Maybe a better way to ask that is, who do you trust? Because Elimelech says, yeah, okay, God is my king, like my name says, but I'm not going to trust him. I'm not going to obey him. I'm going to take it into my own hands, and I'm going to figure it out, and I'm going to put in the effort, and I've, I've got it. So what do you do when you get into a situation that's not going your way? So like when things aren't going the way you want in a relationship, what do you do? Maybe you're dating somebody and you've been waiting and you're like, hey, I'm just going to rush this along or, hey, I know that I should probably wait until, you know, marriage for for sex, but I'm not going to because I'm going to take control and it feels right and that seems old-fashioned and I've got it figured out. Or when things aren't going the way you want in your finances and you're like, hey, I know, but I'm looking at my budget and I know I should give generously and I know it's all God's, but also money is tight and also this thing is on sale and also I want to go on vacation and so I'm going to just kind of be self-focused right now. I've got to take care of me. You know, when things aren't going the way you want in just the way you feel, you know, I'm going to be wise. I want to be wise, but I feel bad today and I'm going to do something that makes me feel good. Maybe I'm going to have that drink just one more. It's not that big of a deal. I'll deal with it tomorrow. See, when you get into a situation where things aren't going your way, what do you do? Because we do all sorts of different things, don't we? What do you do? Here's my point. When things aren't going my way, Moab looks tempting. Going where God doesn't want me to go or doing what God doesn't want me to do because it feels right or it's easier or... It's in the space that like, I'm going to just, I'm going to force this. 
Elimelech is worried about his family. He does what's right in his own eyes, even though God made it incredibly clear not to go there. And I think a lot of us go to places like Moab under a lot less pressure. So what happened? This is Ruth 1, starting in verse 3. Then Elimelech died. I think that's hilarious. I do, I do. It's, I probably shouldn't, but I do. Because it's like, here's all this buildup, and this is what happened, and this is what he did. <laughs> then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons, and then the two sons married and went against what he was supposed to do, Moabite women. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other named a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Melana and Killian died, and this left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. So what happened? Well, Elimelech died, even though he was trying to get away from the situation and stay safe, and then sick and tired died. <laughs> and after marrying Moabite women in the, you know, the place that God says, please don't do that, we're going to make it very clear, don't do that. So Naomi's in a really, really bad situation, economically bad situation, you know, culturally, this is, they would have been taken care of by you know, sons or by her husband. It's a big deal. It was bad. And now it's worse So they left this place so they wouldn't die. And then the three people who were caretakers died. And we don't necessarily know how Elimelech died. I mean, maybe it was by famine. Maybe it was by the walk. Maybe by drive-by camel accident. I don't really know. But all of them died. So now you have three widows. And you have no homes, no money, and no hope. And then finally, Naomi goes, okay, okay. Enough is enough. I'm going back to Bethlehem because she heard that God had been taking care of the people in Bethlehem. Now, here's a side note. God said, don't go. And then he took care of the people who didn't go. There's a whole message right there. God said, don't go. And then he took care of the people who said, okay, I trust you and I won't go. But Naomi, they did go and they have to return home. And on the way home, the mother-in-law and her two daughters-in-law are talking, because remember, this is a chick flick, and they're talking, and Naomi tells her daughters-in-law, hey, you don't have to go with me. Go back to your homeland, find somebody else to marry, get out of this terrible situation. So Orpah uh, goes back to Moab. But Ruth doesn't go back to Moab. Actually, Ruth doesn't even talk until verse 16 in the book of the Bible that's named after her. And when she does open her mouth, probably the most famous verse in the book of Ruth comes out. Now, maybe you don't know it, maybe you do, but this, this is probably it if there was the most famous verse. This is Ruth 1.16. This is what it has to say. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. And here it is. And your God will be my God. So I want to slow down because this is absolutely incredible. Ruth grew up worshiping a different God. She grew up not knowing the one true God. But she says to Naomi, I'm loyal to you. And maybe more importantly, I'm loyal to your God. Your God is now my God, I believe. So Naomi and Ruth turn away from Moab and they go back to Bethlehem. They made a decision. And I believe a decision to return to God and the land that he had promised them. And they made one decision that changes everything for them. It's actually the big idea for today. One decision can change everything. 
absolutely everything. And chapters two through four, which we'll talk about next week, prove the point. Because the rom-com continues and you know, Ruth meets this eligible bachelor Boaz and spoiler alert, they get married and they have a kid named Obed and Obed had a kid named Jesse and Jesse had a kid named King David. And King David is in the line of Jesus. So Ruth, who made a decision to go with Naomi, who made a decision to go back to Bethlehem, Ruth is in the lineage of Jesus. One decision can change everything. And Naomi and Ruth make the decision to trust God, to run back to God. And the rest of the story is pretty incredible. Now, sometimes when I read the Bible or I'm in a Bible study or I'm talking to my kids or whatever, I'll say something like, well, what did we learn in this story? Because this little story in the book of Ruth, even just the first chapter of it, I think one of the things that we can learn is one decision really can change everything. And sometimes we don't even know what the decision is going to be. Here's something I love. Here's something to notice. Naomi and Ruth don't know the rest of the story when they make the decision. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know that God is going to provide. They decided to trust God. And if you decide to trust God and you turn to him, that's one decision that can change an awful lot of things. Now, I want you to hear a story from somebody who goes to the ridge and is a great example of making a decision. So this story includes a decision that was made and then the impact that really God made through the decision and how one decision really can change everything. I had made it a resolution to come every Sunday morning to service for a year to see if this is really, I guess, all it's cracked up to be, you know, the, the goodness of God. If he, if he could feel, feel someone as, as far as I felt about myself, you know, I, I really didn't feel like a whole lot. You know, it was a really dark place. Really believe that coming to church and being involved with Celebrate Recovery has just changed everything about my whole being. I was talking with my sponsor yesterday, and when I first started the program in that first year, I had wrote down what I was grateful for, a couple goals for the day, and what I needed to work on. Mm. And I had flipped back through that whole spiral-bound notebook, and... It came down to, I just wanted connection, a positive connection. I found it. But as long as I keep my faith, and I've noticed those couple days, because I've missed three days of church in the last two years, total. Mm-hmm. So I've noticed those three days, like a couple days afterwards, like I am not a great person to be around. Like, I just feel like it just sucks something away from me. Like, I didn't get that even watching it live. It just, I don't know. I'm not like the clappy, like, jumping in the air. Like, <laughs> I, I, I don't, I'm not like judging or anything. I, sure. I come here for the ambience, the noise, the, the the room as a whole. Like, when everybody sings, like, I want to start crying. Yeah. Because I know it's love. Mm. It's just powerful. It's, it's, it's powerful in a positive way. Instead of just like knocking you down, it's like, I can't stand right now, but I just seen that. And it's like, I'm going all week with this. Yeah. You know, so that's, 
amazing. Well, it sounds like, you know, God has been orchestrating a lot of things for you in your life. One of those things has been community with CR and even what you just said, like you being in this space on a Sunday morning, you're just surrounded by uh, fellow believers and being a part of that. If you could um, think of something, if somebody's in, like you've said, mentioned darkness, like you've, you felt like you were in this darkness and there was this weight and heaviness for people who might be experiencing that right now, what, what would you want them to know? That they're not alone, that they're loved, that they matter, <laughs> that there's a way out. You know, in a positive way out. Yeah. You know, uh... One decision. Actually, a pretty simple decision. I'm just going to go to church for a year. I'm just going to try this out. Now, what's one decision that could change everything in your life right now? See, to go where God wants us to go, sometimes we have to walk away from the place that isn't where he wanted us to be in the first place. So is there a decision that you could make, one decision that God is prompting you to make that can change your life? Now, for some of us, that decision that could change everything is a decision to follow Jesus. And maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus before. See, I believe at the bottom of my heart that that is the best decision that somebody can make in their entire lives. To follow Jesus is what we're all about here at The Rich. We want to do whatever it takes to reach our community for Christ. And we believe that every single person falls short of God's standard, that we sin, and that we're in need of a Savior. So God loved us so much that He sent Jesus, He sent that Savior to die on the cross for our sins and to make us right with God. And if we believe in Jesus, we have the promise of eternal life in heaven if we've made the decision to follow and surrender our lives to Jesus. And I believe that making the decision to follow Jesus is the best decision that you can make. I believe it will change everything. Now, I want to be clear. Following Jesus doesn't make everything in your life easy because life still goes on. And there are good days and there are bad days and we still have tough decisions that we need to make and we still have to turn back to God every single day. See, life happens. And actually, after Naomi gets back to Bethlehem, the entire town goes, is that Naomi? Is she back? Is that Naomi? And Naomi replies, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Because Naomi means pleasant and Mara means bitter. She still lost her husband. She still lost both of her sons. And turning back to God doesn't make everything better in a snap. That's not really the point. But like Ruth and Naomi, they made a decision to turn back towards God, to trust God. And the rest of their story is full of God's provision. So if you haven't made that decision, if you feel that nudge to do that, I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision. So here in just a second, I'm going to pray a prayer, and you could pray the prayer kind of, where you're at after me. But if you've already made this decision, I want to encourage you, if you've prayed a prayer like this, or you've made a decision to follow Jesus, I think it's still okay to pray this prayer because it reminds us of this decision that we've made and the impact that this decision has made in our lives. So everybody just bow your heads right now. And if you want to make this decision to follow Jesus, you just say this prayer in your head and your heart, right where you're at. Repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I know that I make mistakes 
that I'm a sinner, and that there's nothing I can do to save myself. At this moment, I follow you. I surrender my life to you. I choose you. I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. I believe you love me. Thank you for your love. I make the decision to follow you today. Amen. Go ahead and look up. Now, if you made that decision today, boy, do I want to talk to you. I want to celebrate that with you. Or maybe you've made that decision in the past, but you've never really done anything after that. You said, yeah, I believe in Jesus. I followed Jesus. Well, the next step, if you've never been baptized before, if you've never made that decision for yourself, the next step would be baptism. Now, baptism is an outward expression of that inward decision to follow Jesus. Now, baptism literally is like going down into the water, and that represents being dead to our sin. And then they come back up out of the water and it represents being alive in Christ. There's nothing magic about the water or anything like that. It just is this public declaration that I have decided to follow Jesus. And we have baptisms actually coming up next week here at the Ridge. And they are parties. And I'm excited about that. So if you're interested in that, talk to somebody. There'll be people down here. I'll be down here. You can shoot us a message because we love having conversations about those next steps. Now, for some of us, we've decided to follow Jesus and we've decided to be baptized. So you thought, I'm off the hook. You're not. So if, you, if you're one of those people, if you're like, I, I follow Jesus and I've been baptized already, come back. Okay, listen to just a second, because I believe that there is a decision that you can make today that God is prompting you to make today. And that one decision that you know needs to happen can be a significant decision in your relationship with Jesus and in your life. So is he pushing you in some way to make a decision? See, there are a lot of options, right? We have a lot of decisions that we make every day. For some of you, it could be something as simple as, I need to pick up the phone and I need to apologize. Or it could be, look, this relationship isn't healthy and we need to break up. Or it can be, hey, I need to commit to this marriage. We are married and I'm going to double, triple, quadruple down on that. And I know it's hard. Or it could be, I need to actually maybe distance or block that person from my phone who doesn't help me honor God and I need to have boundaries. It could be to confess your addiction and actually ask for help and come to celebrate recovery on Thursday nights here at the Ridge at 630 you have that hurt or the habit or that hang up going on in your life, it could be to live on less and give more. It could be to finally talk to somebody about the anxiety or about the depression because you don't want to and you keep trying it on your own and you keep doing it on your own. I don't know what it is. It could be all sorts of things, but my encouragement, the what did we learn from Ruth and Naomi is that one decision to trust God is worth it. And we'll see how big of a deal that decision really is next week. But I believe that every single one of us has a next step in our relationship with Jesus. And it's actually a value here at the Ridge to relentlessly pursue next steps. One decision, one area, one thing that God is prompting you to do. So this week, my encouragement to you is to make the decision, follow, trust God. So what is one decision that you can make that would change everything in your life. 
like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, I know at least for me, it is easy to talk about a decision. It's easy to even feel prompted towards a decision. It's a whole other thing to actually make the decision and to follow through with it. And so that's my prayer, really, is that you would prompt us, every single person, towards a decision to trust you in some area, in some aspect of our lives, that you wouldn't let us leave this space without knowing what it is. Now give us the strength to take that step and to truly trust you without even knowing what's going to happen. See, we believe, God, that you sent Jesus and that that matters, that if we follow Jesus, that that's a reminder that we were made not to be constantly reminded of shame or guilt or pain or hurt, even though those were a part of life as life happens, but that you made us for more. Help us surrender those decisions to you. Motivate us towards you. Help us trust you with everything that we've got. And we believe right now, we believe that if we place our trust in you, it really does change things. Be that change in our lives. Thank you for Jesus and the cross. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.